In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter. Chris Corman here, joined by Stephen Ruiz. We are the NFL team for the blog for the win. Stephen, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. It's. I feel like the season is going slowly and quick, too quickly at the same time. <laughs> You're just experiencing uh, pandemic life, man. That's nah, all. That might be what it is. That might be <laughs> what it is. That's all it is. Uh, think back to like February. Like, I, like it, I, to me, it feels in like, my head. It feels like week one was like yesterday, but the Super Bowl isn't for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're not counting on the Super Bowl happening. I mean, we have That's not fair. had we have point. not had uh, coronavirus really interrupt this week for the NFL. Uh, we're heading into week seven, and so far, I think there's. The Raiders have had one positive test, but there's been no the last few weeks. It was multiple and they were testing teams and teams were standing by. Uh, but so far, I don't think we've had that. By the way, it's it, definitely looming. The Raiders lasting till week six or week seven, I guess, until they got their first scare. Very commendable. I had the Raiders down for at least like like week two, I thought was the latest <laughs> we'd get a scare with the Raiders, especially now that they're in Vegas. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so bravo to the Raiders. Good job. Vegas, Vegas is just a super spreader event, like the entire <laughs> right. town. It's just, uh, that's what we got going on there. Uh, we got some breaking news today. We got we got some things happening in the NFL that we want to talk about. Uh, the Ravens have traded for Yannick Nagakwe, which is uh, a fairly significant move for a team that, that we already liked. Uh, so we're going to dig in on that. And also, Stephen looked at the Ravens' offense, uh, which, you know, despite them being 5-1, and one, the offense has not really looked anywhere close to as good as it was last year. Lamar Jackson is not in the MVP uh, discussion so far this year. So we wanted to try to find out why. Uh, the Ravens are on a bye this week, so it's not... Super uh, pressing to to figure all this out, but Stephen did do a film breakdown, and we'll discuss that. Uh, a couple other things going on around the league. Tua Tagovailoa is now the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, finally. We'll dig in on that discussion a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe chat about Antonio Brown, who his name is starting to percolate a little bit uh, among teams that are looking for wide receiving help. He is uh, nearing the end of his suspension, he's suspended from a job he doesn't have, but uh, he, uh, he is able to return to the league. And we'll talk, we'll give our thoughts on that. And then we'll break down every game. Uh, Steven will give his picks, a couple of decent ones the Titan Steelers, which is was, was moved by the, the coronavirus that when it hit uh, Tennessee, that, that is 
one of the games that got moved uh, and still remains. Uh, it's even better now. <laughs> the teams are, are undefeated and further along. So should be interesting. 49ers, Patriots, Seahawks, Cardinals, Chiefs, Broncos. A couple games that will, will help us learn some things this week. Uh, but we'll go through all of them. But Stephen, let's talk about the Nagakwe trade. Uh, the Ravens are, their buy was moved because of the, uh, since Pittsburgh is playing the uh, Titans this week, the Ravens have to play the, the Steelers next week. Uh, they were supposed to have a buy next week. So now it's this week. And Eric DaCosta is using it to uh, strengthen his team. The Ravens are also apparently adding Des Bryant to their practice squad, which is, a, a, as Henry McKenna pointed out, a very 2020 thing when a, a veteran is allowed to join the practice squad. Uh, but it's pretty clear that DaCosta has identified problems that he wants to try to address uh, and and you graded the Nagakwe trade. What do you think of this one? For the Ravens, I think it's a, a like a no-brainer trade. I, I right. They're not risking anything, just a, a day three pick and you would expect Ngakwe, who's uh, going to be a free agent next year, would return a, comp- a compensatory pick to Baltimore, who loves those picks, because Baltimore... It's probably not going to be a spender in free agency. So I don't think whatever deal he eventually signs is going to be negated by Baltimore spending a lot of money in free agency. That's kind of how that's how the picks are are passed out. I think they're going to end up like with their formula, they're going to end up losing a, a player that's probably going to make like what, 15, 16 million dollars a year. So I could see them getting the third round pick back just by losing Ngakwe. And that's what they gave up for this guy who two months ago was seen as a player worth a second round pick. Right. And when the, he's ja- also when the Jaguars traded him to the, to the Vikings prior to the season, it was for a second round pick. And as you noted in your post, uh, those picks now are 55 picks apart you know, yeah. because, because of the standings. So, uh, you know, the Vikings sent, Uh, Based on the standings now, this could change, but they sent the 37th pick overall to Jacksonville and they're getting back the 92nd pick from the Ravens. And then there are some conditional fifth round picks included in both trades. Yeah, and I think this is a a pickup that really helps the Ravens just because they're a team that doesn't have a star pass rusher. I don't think Ngakwe is that guy, but he is better than what they've had. And I think going to a team that wins kind of helps him be a better player because he is a speed rusher who is at his best in passing situations when he knows he doesn't have to defend against the run and he can use that athleticism and explosion to get off the line and beat the tackle. And I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to do that in Baltimore because they're going to be winning a lot of games. He didn't get that in Minnesota this year and he still had four sacks. So I could see him ending the year with like a, a 12 sack type of season and that will just lead to him getting more money in free agency and the Ravens will be better for it when they get their uh, compensatory pick. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's a huge upgrade, I think, for a lot of what they have. I mean, Derek Wolf, Pernell McPhee, uh, I, you know, he's clearly a, a better player. And as you've broken down before, Wink Martindale has, mm-hmm. you know, he has a very complex scheme uh, and, uh, you know, he is he is faking rushes from one side and rushing on the other side. I mean, this is just another piece for him. And it's pretty clear that the Ravens realized that after uh, Cam or after uh, Patrick Mahomes totally decimated their their blitz scheme, that they 
that was not a formula for them getting where they want. They, they can't get to the Super Bowl if they have to go through the Chiefs by blitzing five guys per down, which they love to do. Uh, Mahomes yeah. picks it up too quickly. So they this was very one. much a Chiefs like a trade right. to beat the Chiefs specifically. I think. And they did have – the only time they really had any success defensively was when they did the simulated pressures that you kind of touched on just now. And I think Ngakwe is perfect for those just because he's going to – Martindale's going to be able to set him up with matchups. Like he's probably going to get a lot of tight end matchups, which is how uh, Matt Judon got so many sacks last year. He's probably going to get on backs too. So I don't think – it's going to be as difficult for Ngakwe to beat the man in front of him because it's not going to be like a left tackle as much as it was in Jacksonville or even Minnesota. Right. Yeah. And that's a Wink Martindale is going to, going to know how to use him in ways that will put him in those positions. I mean, it's not a situation where he's just going to be lining up and rushing the quarterback. He's going to be moved around. And, you know, Calais Campbell has been really good for the Ravens uh, and he's just, eating up the middle and that uh, will free him again to, to get those open rush lanes, which really is where he excels. Uh, what, what do you think about the Des Bryant edition? I mean, seems like just a total flyer, like seeing, uh, I think the Ravens have been talking to Des for quite some time and working him out. Uh, and the wide receivers have not been very good. This is part of your breakdown that we'll get, get to in a, in a minute, but uh, your thoughts on this, this move. I like it. Like, why not? Right. Even if Dez isn't like Dez back when we last saw him, which I think it's been two years now since he played for the Cowboys and people were saying like he's watched, he can't get open anymore. I don't think they necessarily need him to be prime Dez Bryant to be right. a, a benefit. They needed a guy that can be a contested catch guy who can win in tight areas in the red zone. I think they wanted Mark Andrews to evolve into that, but it really hasn't happened. I don't think Mark Andrews has been a lot better than he was last year. He's had a problem with drops really bad drops in the chiefs game. So, and you know, I don't think Des Bryant is going to have a problem with, with drops. He's going to catch those passes and in, into tight windows. So, I mean, and if it doesn't work out, who cares? It's not like they're spending a lot of money. He's a you know, practice squad guy. So yeah, I, this could, this is another low risk, high reward type of move, just similar to the Ngakwe trade. <laughs> There's not as much risk because they're not giving up a draft pick and they're not paying him millions of dollars. But I think it could end up being significant for them in these matchups that they have, like with the Chiefs and the Patriots and the Steelers. I really think he's going to help them if he is just even 90% of what he was last time we saw him. Right, right. Yeah, he last played in 2017. He had 69 grabs and he played all 16 games, 69 catches, uh, 838 yards. I mean, far, far from his peak when he was getting 90 catches a year. Uh, But... More, just more of a, a like you said, like a, a possession guy who's going to settle down into into his own and find an open spot, or he can he can win contested catches. Uh, I mean, it's the what the Ravens have now is Hollywood Brown, who's not that uh, Willie Sneed, who's not that. You know, these are these are smaller guys, so um, it just gives yeah. them a, diff, a completely different type of wide receiver. Yeah, they don't need that deep threat that he once right. was anymore. They need right. the kind of guy you just described. And I, like when we last saw him, he was still capable of getting open at the line of scrimmage. I've talked about this a couple times when evaluating receivers. Like sometimes receivers get open at the line of scrimmage with their release. 
and sometimes they get open down the field. He's not necessarily that guy who's going to like snap off a route and and create separation, but he can create separation at the line of scrimmage. And he is a guy that can, I think, can take advantage of one-on-one opportunities, which he's going to get because you have to load the box up with Lamar Jackson posing a threat as a runner. Right, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the Ravens offense because you did do a, a comprehensive breakdown uh, and I really, I really like this post because I, I live north of Baltimore, and this is, this has been the question floating around. It's just one of those weird situations where, like, the team is five and one, and on Monday morning, not that I go out anymore because of the coronavirus, but I imagine if I did, people would sort of be like frowning a little bit. They would be wondering, uh, like, wait, is this team really good? Because the offense is never, it's still putting up the exact same number of points. Uh, you know, so much of it looks the same, but it doesn't. It's just missing that dynamism that made it so interesting last year. Uh, and you looked at it and and settled in on one thing. Uh, and I do want to point out you in the beginning here. You point out that the Ravens picked a running back uh, with their second round pick, J.K. Dobbins, when they really probably should have picked a guard because they knew that they were going to have to replace uh, uh, Marshall Yanda, who is a first ball hall. I mean, just certainly the best guard I've ever seen play uh, on a regular basis. He's he's he was really, really good for the Ravens and and had not fallen off much uh, last year. Uh, and so there you, you definitely notice that when you watch the film is that they are not getting the same sort of running lanes inside. But what else did you diagnose here as you went through this film? Yeah, so the the regression in the run game wasn't like surprising at all just because of how good they were last year. They had to take a step back. It's been the passing game that's really, I think, been the difference between last year and this year. And the thing I kind of picked up on it before I even looked at the numbers. I Usually I'll watch the film first and kind of see what's going on and then start looking for numbers based on that. And it was apparent that in empty, they were getting... I remember from last year in empty formations, so no running backs in the backfield, five receivers split out wide. The Ravens were the best team in the league. And I think a lot of it had to do with Lamar Jackson and teams. I think I even wrote a post about this late last year after they uh, beat the Rams on uh, Monday Night Football with a lot of empty formations. Teams just didn't know how to defend it. Like they were playing zone. If they played zone, Lamar did a great job of finding open receivers within the zone. If they played man, Lamar Jackson could take off and scramble because the defensive backs have their back turned to the pocket. Right. So this year, teams have started to blitz him in empty, and he's not been good. And this year in empty, he's been the worst quarterback in the league. Last year, he was the best. This year, he's the worst. And when you take those empty uh, plays out of his stat line, and compare last season to this season, it's almost identical. Like it's eerily identical. He's basically been the same passer outside of empty. It's just been an empty where we've seen the big difference. And that like entirely explains the difference in what he did last year and what he's doing this year. So I think that's something the Ravens can look at and say, how do we improve this? And once they figure that out, I think the offense can get back to where it was last year. Maybe the run game won't be as explosive, but I do think there are some schematic things they can do to kind of get back to at least close to where they were in the run game last year. But really it's figuring out how to get back to being so productive and empty. That's I think holding them back from being what they were last year. And what are the possible solutions there? I mean, what, what, what can they do to try to make Lamar feel more comfortable? Honestly, I think it's just designing more plays that take advantage of 
the defense being aggressive and drilling them and practicing them. Maybe they didn't have time to really do that this season just because of what's happened in the country and how that's affected the, the practice time. And it's a smart coaching staff. Like I, I fully expect the Ravens to figure this out. If I could find this, I'm sure they found it like two weeks ago and they're already working on uh, figuring it out because they did call a lot less, like fewer empty uh, plays last year or last week. I think it was only like three or four that I counted against the Eagles and they had done like 12 against the Bengals. So maybe they realize that it's not as effective as it was a year ago, but I'm hoping they, instead of just scrapping it entirely, they just adjust it and find a way to get Lamar comfortable. Cause he, when he is comfortable in those situations, I mean, this team is like undefendable. I, I don't know right. what you do. So I think it's just a, uh, you know, play design thing. So it's up to Greg Roman, who I'm not as high on Greg Roman as everybody is. I, I think we've seen this play out before where he's been unable to adjust, but I do think having the backing of this Raven staff as a whole, I think they'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a huge part of Lamar's problem is that he does not have receivers that he trusts to win. Right. You know, those contested ball. I mean, he's got to make a split, split second decision and probably throw a different type of pat. You know, he's got to throw into a tighter window or throw to a guy running across his face. Like, and he's just doesn't have guys that he really feels great, especially like you said, with Andrews not playing as well. Um, so that's where the Des Bryant signing comes in. Take, take a chance and see if he's that guy that Lamar can connect with. Uh, and, you know, Eric DaCosta, I think very pointedly said, you know, we're not done. We're not done making additions and changes to this team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Ravens try next. Uh, speaking of changes, the, as we mentioned, Tua Tagovailoa is finally the starter in Miami. We have uh, been calling for this for a little bit now. It's a somewhat, a somewhat interesting move just because the Dolphins, uh, it's not like Ryan, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a great game last time they they played, and he's actually been as good and steady for him as he has been really in his career. Uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a high-variance quarterback, but he's mostly been okay this season. Uh, the Dolphins have a bye this week. So to me, this feels a little scripted. It feels like they had basically planned if, you know, if Fitzpatrick had led them to an undefeated start, then I, I imagine he would still have the job, uh, but that is not the case. The Dolphins are what three and three? Is that right? Um, yeah. And so they are now moving on to Tua. He threw two passes. You know, nothing happened last week that said like, "Hey, he's ready." You know, he he came in mop up and threw a couple passes. Uh, so and now they've they've made the decision, which is the right decision because they need to figure out what they have with with Tua and if. You know, you either find out that he's not the guy for the future or you start developing down the path. You get him figuring stuff out. So what are you looking for when Tua does play next week? Uh, you know, how is this going to unfold? I think the big question, and this is the, goes back to what we were talking about before the draft, is is he going to be able to push the ball downfield in those tighter pockets in the NFL? Is he going to be willing to hang in the pocket, let plays develop, and throw it downfield? I think that's going to be the difference between him being a quarterback like, say, Teddy Bridgewater and a quarterback like Matt Ryan, which is what you're hoping for when you get one of these pocket quarterbacks who 
is known for his his football intelligence and being able to go through progressions, not necessarily his his amazing physical talent, which I don't think Tua really has. He's not he's actually not a natural left-hander and that may explain why his arm isn't as great as you'd expect, but like Joe Burrow has the same issue. And I think he could be at least Joe Burrow, but I wouldn't want to settle for Joe Burrow. I would want a guy like Trevor Lawrence, but if two is willing to push the ball downfield and he's capable of doing that, I don't, I think he's capable of being like a top 10 quarterback. That's, that's the thing with him. Is he going to be able to push the ball downfield at the NFL level? I'm skeptical just because he didn't do it at Alabama when he had a thousand NFL receivers and all the time in the pocket he wanted. But I mean, the Dolphins use a top five pick on him. You might as well see what he can do before adjusting your plans uh, next offseason if you need to. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's probably jarring for the typical NFL fan to see situations like this where like, you know, Daniel Jones is picked what was he sixth by the Giants, uh Haskins, uh, you know, and 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 hear us suggesting like, well, you know, they better move on quick. Uh but that's like the the way that it's set up, it's it's that important to to get the quarterback situation figured out and to really have that player. You can get away with uh, having Jared Goff if you have Sean McVay and he's making it work. And, uh, uh, you know, we discussed this in the last show. You've sort of given up on the Rams again. It, they surprised us by being better than we thought they'd be this season. They were in tight cap space, didn't really have much room to build around Goff. And McVay held it up for a couple of games. And now it looks like they just they have too many holes. Uh, there's not enough uh, support for golf, and he is—he's just not going to elevate players. And Jimmy Garoppolo is much the same way, uh, you know. So if you have that sort of quarterback, you really need to have everything else working around them, and that it just doesn't feel like a sustainable path toward uh, multiple toward being in the conversation for the Super Bowl every year. Uh, it's just incredibly difficult to do having that quarterback. That, that does elevate players, that's the way. Uh, so, you know, if you're serious about building a team, you, you figure that out first. Um, let's, let's talk about, let's just briefly touch on Antonio Brown because he is back in the news as, as a possibility. Um, you know, it, I, it, he's, he's 32 years old. He's actually older than Des Bryant, by the way. Um, he didn't. He hasn't had the same injury history. You know, Bryant missed an entire season, and and then due to injury, and then did not play. Brown has been in and out of the game, uh, but he's just a total mess of a person. <laughs> I don't even think. To me, it's not even a question of like the locker room thing. You know, this whole like he's, <laughs> right. he's a can't. He's a cancer in the locker room. Like he's just a cancer of a person. Like he's a mess you know, to like, whatever city he signs with. Like right, right. So like he's. I also like the thing that he's been suspended while not actually having a job. Like you said earlier, <laughs> right. like that's that's going to be my excuse for why I'm not in the NFL. I'm just going to be like, yeah, I would be. I would be a millionaire right now and like a, a starting NFL quarterback, but I'm just suspended. As you can tell by my physique, I just I'm on a, a crap load of steroids, <laughs> and they just won't allow that in the NFL. 
Well, yeah, I mean, this because whenever whenever we have meetings, instead of uh, instead of turning your camera on, you just put to put up the uh, fox drawing of yourself. So <laughs> you look just totally ripped. I look like the Ben Roethlisberger drawing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I don't I I don't mean to minimize. I mean, I, I think I, I it's wrong for me to make some sort of diagnosis from afar, uh, and I don't want to mitigate. Uh, the seriousness of mental illness, but like Antonio Brown seems like he has very serious mental illness. You know, you go right. through the police reports of, of the things that have happened and uh, the, the controversies that he's had. And, you know, remember him tw- texting the artist who was uh, making accusations of sexual assault and the, and the way he was talking, you know, he's just not a very stable person. Uh, would it be nice if, if an NFL team got him the help that he needed and helped him revive both his life and his career? Sure. But I have some serious doubts that that's how the NFL works. You know, they are, they're looking at him as a guy who can catch a ball better than pretty much anyone of his generation. He's one of the better wide receivers of the last 10, 15 years. And, uh, you know, they're just that's that's how the NFL works. Right. It just brings it brings bodies in for the most part. And I don't really understand the connection to Seattle. Like I get that he was working out with Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson seems to be backing this possible move. But I mean, the Seahawks are fine with receivers. Why are you make, taking this risk? Why are you making this move that is going to be criticized by a lot of people and should be criticized by a lot of people? Maybe it's – I don't know if this is the right way to look at it, but if I'm an NFL team that's considering this move, I'm only making it if I'm desperate for a receiver. Like if I'm a team like New England, yeah, maybe I you know, investigate – this I, I think about this more than if I'm a team like Seattle who has a deep receiving core and it's going to get even deeper when Josh Gordon eventually comes back. So if I'm Seattle, I stay away from this. You guys are undefeated. You guys are the offense is scoring for fun. You don't need any reinforcements. I don't understand this move for Seattle at all. Right, right. I mean, it's it's by nature a desperation move. And the Patriots, as as we will get to later in the show, are probably the best team in the league that that has a case for being desperate for that sort of talent uh even even more so than the ravens we just talked about needing a better you know to upgrade wide receiver the the raven the patriots are just bad <laughs> like they have really bad uh, so and the fact that they have some history with brown you, you could see it ended poorly but uh, you know you, you could see that uh, Tom Brady, I think, was still in favor of it. You know, he never sort of backed off, but yeah, it's just not not for the Seahawks. Uh, let's we're going to go uh, to Charles Curtis now, do our fantasy segment, and then we'll be back to talk to you about all the games this week. The counter. All right, up to New York to Charles Curtis, our good friend, fantasy guru. Charles, what's happening, dude? Same old stuff, uh, different week. Uh, we're getting ready for week seven. It's it's kind of crazy to me that in terms of fantasy football, we are approaching. It's not even the halfway mark because you start playoffs in like week 13, week 14, 15. So like we're sort of over the halfway mark, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. You know what's also kind of nuts? That you two are currently tied in your picks, 44, <laughs> 40, and 4. I have to bring this up. Steven and Charles uh, pick against the spread each week. 
And generally, uh, Steven runs away with it. Steven's the Patriots and Charles is like, I don't know, the Chicago Bears. But he's also been like the Bears this season. He is he is keeping right with Steven. And I need to know, like, is this going to continue? Is this no. real, Charles? No, it's not going to continue. <laughs> it happens every year. No, it literally happens every year where, like, I'll take a lead early in the season. And then Steven just digs in his heels or sits in front of the TV every night watching. Yeah. TV. And then he comes back. He, next he, week digs, and he, he digs into stats. He digs into stats. Is there you go. Exactly. It's so. also like, I think it's easier to pick games in the second half. Right. Because you actually know which teams are real or not. And I feel like I've taken a lot of bad beats this, this season. I'm going to like my pick, the spirit of my pick has, has been good. <laughs> Like for instance, I picked the Texans to to cover against the Titans, and I think it it should have happened. They went to overtime, and then the Titans scored a touchdown. And I end up losing that game, even though I made the right pick. I want to I want to see somebody in Vegas explaining that to the uh, guy behind the counter. Like, look, the spirit of my pick was good. Please, yes, please do not take all my money. Uh, Charles is here to do his weekly uh, weekly studs, duds, and sleeper segment for us, uh, fantasy football. He will pick one in each category. Steven will grade it by, uh, by naming an NFL coach that corresponds to the quality of the pick. And uh, this is always amazing. So, Charles, who is your stud for the week? So this week I picked a stud. Sometimes this happens when you play fantasy football and write about fantasy football. Sometimes you just put something out there to, as LeVar Ball would say, speak it into existence. And this week (laughs) I'm trying to speak into existence. Chris Godwin coming back to wide receiver one status. Uh, He's been injured a bunch this season. I think he had a concussion earlier in the year. Ended up with a hamstring injury. Kept him out for a couple games. And last week I watched that game uh, with the Packers and he, he looked Mostly back. I I question, though, now that Tom Brady has all of his weapons around him, does he get the volume that he's been getting? I did see some numbers that the depth of of, uh, his receptions has gone down. That's probably to be expected with Tom Brady. But this week, I'm speaking into existence. Vegas, past even sounded that great. I think he ends up as a stud. I'm hoping for it for one team because I did trade for Chris Godwin. Uh, so that's where I'm going with that. So, Stephen, which coach do I get for that one? Uh, I'm going to give you a Mike Tomlin. I'm like running out of coaches to give you. So I'm just trying to come up with ones that I haven't said. I think it's a good pick because mostly because the, the Raiders secondary isn't very good. I know people are probably overhyping them now because they shut down the Chiefs and I'm putting you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes for shut down the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Bucks should have plenty of success against this defense. I don't see even him. I, I think he'll get enough targets too because there's going to be plenty of targets to go around. So Chris Godwin, I'm going to call it. He's going to score a touchdown against the Raiders, who I, I don't wow. think they're a very good tackling team. So, and Chris Godwin is like a yak god. So I could see him scoring on a on a screen pass. I'm going to. I'm, that's going to be my bold prediction for the week. Chris Godwin will score on a screen pass. <laughs> I like it. I like it, and yeah. for many reasons. But also, like we can talk quickly about Mike Evans. Like Mike Evans's numbers this year are weird. They're just all kinds of like. One game, he's catch passes. The next, he's just like the red zone guy. And so I'm sort of leaning on that and thinking that Godwin is, is the top. Also, that, that prediction I just threw out was like the worst prediction ever. Not because it's like a bad prediction, but I, it's like such a specific prediction. And even if I get it right, like who cares? No one cares that you predicted that 
a guy was going to score on a screen pass. So I'm giving myself a a Joe Judge for that one. <laughs> I love this segment. Uh, I poor, love it. Poor Joe Judge. Uh, who's your dad, Charles? Not poor. The Giants paid him handsomely. Uh, Juju Smith-Schutz, yeah, sure. let's talk about him. Yeah, let's talk about him. It's time for you to bench him if you haven't already, Fantasy Football Universe. He's been pedestrian, to say the least, and it seems like the Steelers really want to spread the ball around. Also, Chase Claypool has stepped up, and James Washington has some good rapport with Ben Roethlisberger. And if Deontay Johnson comes back, it's a whole muddled mess because it seemed like early in the year, and we've talked about this on this very podcast, that Roethlisberger likes to look at Deontay's way, sort of, uh, you know, I saw a lot of slants, a lot of quick passes. So I'm, no matter who the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing, they happen to be playing the Titans this week, but I think it's time to sit him on your bench, give him a week or two off and see if he does anything. Um, I don't think he's drop worthy yet, but we're getting close to that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I'll, I'll give you a... Uh, I don't know, Pete Carroll. You'll get a Pete Carroll. It's a good pick because I'm always down to slander Juju just because I don't think he was – I didn't wasn't on the bandwagon like two years ago when everyone thought he was going to be a star after AB left Pittsburgh. He's just like a decent number two receiver who happens to have like a Twitch stream and does dances on Twitter so people think he's good. Like I don't think he's that good. He's He's <laughs> – I've been saying this and I'm not surprised that his I think I saw a stat where like he his his percentage of the team's air yards, which is apparently is a, a a meaningful measure for wide receivers in regards to fantasy, is like fifth on the team behind even like a tight end. Like Eric Ebron is getting more air yards than Juju is. So yeah, I'm I'm all with it. The Titans have a, a decent defense and I think the way you beat the Titans defense is throwing deep and obviously he's not that that guy for Ben Roethlisberger. What is it all? Was it all Antonio Brown the whole time? Just, just taking away uh, attention or taking attention so that, that Juju could succeed. That's probably like oversimplifying it, but in a way, yes, I think I don't, I just don't think he's a, a receiver capable of carrying a receiving core because he, he can't win against press coverage. So you kind of have to move him around and use him as like a number two type receiver, no matter what no matter what's around him. So probably a little bit of both of him just not being that great and AB being gone and not taking attention away from him. I should always remind See, myself. I just that, love when you, yeah, when, you, when you say you want to slander somebody, you're like, I'm, I'm here. I, I enjoy slandering people. I mean, it's one of the things I feel like I do best. <laughs> uh, what were you saying, Charles? I was just saying I should remind myself that when talking to Steven that I should never oh, simply state something very simply as like Antonio Brown is responsible for <laughs> success that one year. So uh, good, good note to self. Yeah, that always happens to me. Uh, who's your sleeper? Let's talk about DeAndre Swift, who we haven't spoken about all this season. I was nervous about him going into the year, but I drafted him in a couple of places, thinking, especially in keeper leagues, thinking that at some point, one of the top rookie running backs in this class was going to end up with the bell cow roll. We know what happened. Carryon Johnson got a bunch of carries, proved that he was terrible. End of story. But they signed Adrian Peterson, and they keep giving Adrian Peterson the ball. And finally, last week, they sort of split it 50-50. And so I can't in good conscience say that DeAndre Swift is a stud this week. He's playing against the Falcons. So that really helps, but 
when is this team going to start giving him the full carries? It's it's why do they keep giving Adrian Peterson anything at all? Um, I'm not saying that Adrian Peterson is completely washed, but when you have a rookie on a and you're on a bad team, why don't you give him some you know a chance to show what he can do? So he's a sleeper this week. I'm starting him in a few leagues, especially with bye weeks. So I think this is the beginning of something really good. But get out of the way, Adrian Peterson. <laughs> I know this. I know he's not a head coach technically anymore, but I'm going to give this uh, an opposite of Dan Quinn. So it's like a good thing. (laughs) And mostly because like it's the Falcons defense. So yeah, just start like whoever against them. Can you give it it a Dan Quinn up until 28 to 3? Like, like just. (laughs) I don't even know if I can do that. I don't even know if I can do that because he wasn't that great. Like, like Dan Quinn. in the NFC playoffs of 2016. That's all I'm giving you. All right, that's all I'm giving Dan Quinn. But, yeah, it's the Falcons defense, and they play a, a brand of defense that's, like, conducive to, to check downs. And DeAndre Swift is very good in the passing game, so I think he'll get a couple of receptions also, which will boost his fantasy output. And, I mean, it's the Falcons. He's probably going to run all over them. And, and DeAndre Swift has been – I think I, I checked this the other day because people were talking about what Charles said, like why is Adrian Peterson still getting carries? And like you look at their them DVOA-wise, and I don't think Swift has enough carries to qualify in the, the overall rankings, but based on what he has done, he's number one in DVOA this year. Wow. Hmm. Whereas Adrian Peterson's fine. Like he's been a good running back for them, but and it might just be a small sample size thing, but Swift has been very good when given the opportunity that drop in week one, notwithstanding. But I, yeah, I think he's going to have a, a big game. And Matt Patricia seems to be the type of guy that like see something work one week. And then he's like, oh uh, yeah, we're just going to keep doing that over and over again. <laughs> so I could see him getting uh, another week where he gets a lot of opportunity. I like it. Isn't the right, opposite? Have it. Is, isn't the opposite of Dan Quinn, Kyle Shanahan? Is that just like the the, the, the direct polar opposites? Yeah, I actually like that take. That is, and the, <laughs> of course, the Falcons picked picked the the bad the bad choice out of those two. When it was obvious even back then, like, hey, maybe they should keep Shanahan and let Quinn walk, but they didn't, and they're the Falcons. They are the Falcons. Charles, thanks for joining us, man. Always appreciate you stopping by, and we will talk to you next week after you have soundly defeated Stephen in your picks against the spread. Yeah, right. I hope you're right. Here's another bold prediction. I'm not going to lose another week to Charles. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's all laying it down. Let's put money on that. We're not allowed to, but let's do it anyway. Okay. I'll put some Bitcoin on it. <laughs> Are we allowed to bet Bitcoin? We'll put Bitcoin? fake money. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We'll, we'll work it out in Slack. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Charles. Talk to you later. Thanks. The Counter. Steve and I completely jinxed it at the beginning of the show by saying that COVID had yet to really affect the NFL. We have breaking news. The <laughs> the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers Las Vegas Raiders game. We joked that Las Vegas is just a, a super one big super spreader event. The Las Vegas Raiders apparently have no offensive line available for Sunday. <laughs> uh, the uh, apparently uh, Trent Brown tested positive, and the rest of the offensive line is 
now being quarantined because they were deemed to be high risk for having so much close contact with him, which you would expect because they're in meetings together and whatnot. Uh, so that game was originally scheduled to be the Sunday night game. It has now been moved to an afternoon game and the Seahawks Cardinals game is the Sunday night game. ESPN wants to have a, wants to be sure that there's a game. Uh, so this is a, a pretty clear sign that the NFL is contemplating moving the Raiders game. Uh, based on the windows, it appears the last contact that Raiders players had with an infected person was Monday. So they could be cleared in time. Uh, if they take a test, a rapid test, a POC test on Sunday, they could be cleared and things could work out. Uh, but as it stands right now, the Raiders don't they they literally could not dress enough players uh, on the offensive line. I think you have to you have to dress eight offensive linemen. They could not do that and they can't sign street free agents because there's a quarantine period for those players as well. Uh, so there there is a game that's being impacted and and potentially being moved. We'll see how this ripples down the line. Um, but that that game itself, uh, you know, the Raiders up and down, not great. I mean, you you wrote about how you really like what Gruden is doing on offense, uh, but but this team is not uh, otherwise. You know, they beat the Chiefs, but it wasn't you. I don't think you were swayed at all. Tampa Bay is a three and a half point favorite in this. It certainly feels like the Bucks are. Uh, figuring things out, growing uh, Tom Brady's understanding what he needs to do in the offense. And you wrote in the cutups this week about how impressed you were with Todd Bowles. Uh, and and that was one of the big narratives coming out of last week is that Bowles, who, you know, the former Jets coach who's now the Bucks defense coordinator did a great job stopping Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. You, you fixated on his third down pressures and how he used early game situations uh, to sort of read what they were doing and then manipulated that and was able to rush Aaron Rodgers into some bad throws. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of good things happening, I think in Tampa Bay, what are you, what are you looking for out of this game? I think it's interesting from a schematic standpoint, when the Raiders are going up against the Bucks defense, just because of how the Bucks are, the Raiders typically play. Like they typically have a fullback on the field. They have multiple tight ends, so it's not really conducive to these exotic looks that you typically see on third down, but out of top bowl, you can see them on any down. So I'm wondering how many, how much blitzes Tampa Bay is going to be able to get into or on early downs, how willing bowls will be to blitz. But I don't, and this might be the game where we figure out how much this defense is going to uh, miss Vita Vea because he is a, a such a great run defender. And they also have Sue, who's a good run defender. So I, I think if they had Vea, it would have just been a terrible matchup for the Raiders because they would not have been able to run. I don't think they would have been able to get into their play action stuff either. So that would have really derailed the offense. But I think now they have more of a chance. If they can run on early downs against a front that's missing Vea, I think they could set up more manageable third down situations or just avoid third down altogether and they don't have to deal with these blitzes, which I do think would give a player like Derek Carr some trouble because he is – so quick to check down the ball. If he sees a rush coming at him, I think he would be throwing those check downs. And the Bucks defense is just so fast. Like they're perfectly suited to to just gobble up those those ball carriers as soon as they get the ball. I don't think there's going to be a lot of yak available against a defense like this. Right. I, I can't believe you didn't warn me you were going to gush about Vita Vea. I could have queued up uh bets just 
you yeah we should just we should just had him on just to just for that like five seconds <laughs> he just jumps in i love vita Vea too and jumps out uh who are you picking in this game um i'm gonna pick the bucks uh, especially if the raiders i mean they could have some offensive line return if this game does happen on sunday but it's not a given that all the guys will return just because one or two passes right. their test so we don't know even know what to expect out of that offensive line and as we've said in the past the offensive line is so important to the success of the Raiders because of how Derek Carr plays. So I think they need an intact offensive line and one that's practiced together. They really haven't had any practice time together this week, and we saw how that affected right. the Patriots last week. So that could be an issue as well. And I'm thinking the game should probably – it should just be moved to, to Monday. What, like, why are we right. even waiting? Just move it to Monday now. The yeah. Bucks have I, a Monday I mean, game the week right. after, so it's not even like they'd have – they'd be affected right. by it. By by the time this podcast gets out to the world, I, I'm guessing the game will have been moved to Monday. Uh, I am, I'm get, you know, I'm I'm sure that's it. Feels like that would be in the works now. Uh, like you mentioned, the Patriots coming off their COVID situation looked putrid against uh, Denver, whereas Tennessee had a long uh, layoff. I think they ended up not playing for two weeks and came back and and sort of stormed to a, a huge win. But as you explained at the time, that felt just like they had a ton of time to prepare. It was sort of a different situation. Uh, this feels more like, you know, the week is being thrown to torn to shreds in the middle of it. Feels like it will be very difficult for the Raiders to put things together. Um, Steelers Titans, uh, a clash of undefeateds, both five and zero. Oh. This game was moved. I'm pretty sure it was week three. Uh, by by that Titans COVID situation, Tennessee is a point favorite here. Uh, they they are at home in this one. Uh, how do you see this shaping up? The Steelers defense has been really good. Uh, we we had declared Ben Roethlisberger quote unquote washed early in the season last week. We uh, because we're rational people who observe things that happen and change our opinions on the world as those things happen. Last week we admitted that Ben Roethlisberger was throwing the ball a little bit better. Still not the old Ben Roethlisberger. Still probably not good enough to lead this team to a, a Super Bowl with with the way he's limiting the offense. But he's taking steps. Uh, so what are you looking for in this game? Uh, similar to last year or last week when the Steelers played the Browns, can the Steelers defense make the quarterback play quarterback? Can they keep them out of those situations where play action is viable? We saw it against Cleveland. They were able to do that. And Baker Mayfield just, just melted down. Now I don't think Tannehill will melt down in that situation. He's much better on non play action passes just because he knows how to read a defense. I don't think he's he's not great at it, but Baker Mayfield, he's just not right. capable of doing it. So I think that's what it comes down to. Can the Steelers stop the Titans on early downs, whether that's the run game with Derrick Henry or the early down uh, play action? And the Steelers have been decent at stopping play action this this year, although I don't know how how stable that that metric is. Like I think they're averaging zero point or point zero seven EPA against on play action passes, which is actually pretty good because Play action passes right. tend to have They're a higher EPA. Right. And not only that, they're they're preventing teams from using play action. I think teams are only using, I calculated it earlier, it's 4.3 play action attempts per game. That's not very high. So if they can 
have a same have the same rate against the uh, the Titans. I think they're going to have a lot of success defensively. Offensively, I'm not so sure. They do have a lot of injuries. David DeCastro's out, or he's questionable. Mike Pouncey's questionable. So that's two integral right. offensive linemen there. That Juju is also questionable. So that could be another key piece. So they have a lot of guys out, and also Mike Hilton on the. D- defensive side who's been like one of their key blitzers from the nickel position he's also questionable so i think injuries could have a big impact on this game as well yeah uh yeah to your Tannehill point that he he's better at reading defenses than baker mayfield he's also like 10 years older <laughs> so like this That's is a good point. this is this is if baker mayfield like got 10 years in the league and and you know, hopefully he would get to this point. Uh, Tannehill is still not very good at it, but he's like a real, I mean, it feels like he's like a young, exciting quarterback because he's just sort of emerged in the last 18 months or whatever it was. Uh, but that's that's not the case. Um, uh, what's your pick in this game? I'm going with the Steelers. I'm worried about the injuries, but the line is, I think it's the Titans are favored by a point and a half, and I really don't get that line at all. Like, I think it not only should the line be reversed with the Steelers favored, I think it should be much bigger. I think the Steelers should be favored by at least four points. So I'm kind of surprised at the line, and I'm definitely taking Pittsburgh. Uh, 49ers Patriots uh, is a game that. I know we are sort of intrigued by just because New England was so bad against Denver. It's, yeah, you're on record saying that it was the worst game you've seen Cam Newton play. Uh, we we touched on this a, a little bit, uh, but it just feels like it feels like he was just completely out of sync with with the COVID situation. Are you expecting a bounce back? New England is favored here by two, even though the 49ers were pretty good last week too. Uh, yeah, I think I am expecting a, uh, a bounce back. And Cam even like mentioned that after the game, it wasn't just like me saying it. Cam mm-hmm. actually said it on Monday. He said he was he was missing throws. He wasn't throwing it early enough. He wasn't pulling the trigger, and that's what led to the sacks. So the good news is that those guys were open downfield, and that's been a problem for the Patriots, but it, it seems like they're getting those guys open for now off of those play-action looks. And if he hits on them, I think they're going to put up a lot of points. I think that they'll be able to run against this 49ers defense. They are playing a tough secondary, but Denver's got a good defense too, and they were getting open receivers, so maybe that won't be that big of an issue. I'm more interested in seeing the other side of the ball. I think when we when we ranked uh, the coaching matchups before the season, this, was, this one was, I think, at the top, maybe second on my list, but near the top, we're getting a Belichick versus Kyle Shanahan matchup and Shanahan is coming off of one of the best games we've seen from a coaching standpoint this season. He did a lot of interesting things, including Debo Samuel using him as basically a running back and getting like two back looks out of 11 personnel, which really messed with the the Rams defense. So I really want to see how Belichick handles that and how he matches up personnel wise. Uh, tell me a little bit about that 49ers secondary, because you looked at the film from uh, Jason Verrett, the cornerback who, if you have forgotten about him uh, as an NFL fan, I don't blame you because he disappeared for literally four seasons. Uh, he made five starts over four seasons. He, he made the Pro Bowl in his second year. 
and then just has been gone since then. He's been dealing with injuries and he returned and was I mean, he got an uh, is got a 94 grade from pro football focus, the best for a cornerback last week. And you looked at the film to sort of confirm what you thought of that. And it turned out uh, he, you, everything about him was amazing. I mean, he had all the athleticism that he used to have, which I mean, he dealt with knee injuries. He's been, he's been out uh, as really a, a crazy story. I mean, four years in the, the, the NFL essentially turns over every three years. Like, you know, most players only last three years. Uh, this is like, he's almost in a different league um, now. And, and he's, he's just exceptionally good. So a very small sample size, but what did you see? He's this might be hyperbole, but I'm going to say it anyway. He is the most <laughs> the most fluid athlete at the cornerback position that I think I've ever seen since I started covering the league, which isn't that long, admittedly. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy considering what he's gone through. That's insane. Right. It's like his hips are not attached, like his lower body is not attached to its, his upper body. Like they they move independently and he can like swivel around and turn directions like his interception. He he had was just it was amazing. Like it's in the cut up post if you can find it. But he's he's covering the flat. He's in zone. He's covering the flat and the, the 49ers have a receiver running out there and he's kind of covering that guy while keeping his eyes on the on the pocket. And then when Jerichoff throws behind him, he goes to throw over Verrett's head. He kind of just shifts his hips, turns around. I think he covers like eight or ten yards of grass in like a second and then jumps up and catches the ball for an interception in the end zone. And it's just amazing. And then you look at him. That was in zone coverage. You look at at him in man, and he's just mirroring receivers perfectly. I I sent out a tweet on, I think it was Wednesday night, uh, a clip of him just – running the route for Robert Woods. It's amazing, especially against a guy like Robert Woods who can like just threaten you vertically. And it's hard to stay close to him because if you do, he could just burn you downfield. So covering a comeback against Robert Woods is really hard and he makes it look so easy. He's just like when I ranked cornerbacks in 2015, I think it was, I had him as the third best cornerback and this was like his third year. And five years later, he's like the same guy. He's the same guy I remember watching on film. After all those injuries, he he can just do any type of coverage you want. He can stick with any type of receiver you want. He's really he's one of my favorite corners to watch, and I'm so happy he's healthy because I get to watch him on film again. Right. Yeah. I don't want to belabor this point, but it really just is so amazing. In in 2017, he played one game. Uh, he he started the first game, and then he had knee soreness and was out. Had had surgery missed the entire season 2018 he tears his achilles tendon in july misses the entire 2018 season uh gets let go by the chargers is signed by the 49ers last year uh again plays one game before he is uh ruled out with an ankle injury so these are all legged like he should not be like all all football evidence tells us that he should have quote unquote, lost a step or that there should be something about him that's less fluid. And he has persevered. Uh, It's really amazing. What's your pick for this game? I'm going to go with Belichick. I'm not betting against him, (laughs) even though he is going up against someone that who I think is his closest match on offense. Right. I'm still sticking with him. I'm seeing a Cam Newton bounce back. They don't really have a defensive line 
like they used to have. So I don't know if they're going to be able to threaten the pocket like the Broncos were able to do. I'll take the Patriots. Uh, let's, let's do the Sunday night game. Seahawks, Cardinals, the new Sunday night game. Uh, obviously, Russell Wilson playing against uh, Kyler Murray, a guy who, you know, there's obvi- obvious similarities there. Uh, Kyler is nowhere near the passer that um, that Russell Wilson is. Wilson is first in completion percentage uh, over expectation, according to Next Gen stats. I mean, he's really just putting the ball wherever he wants it this year. He's been really good. Uh, Seattle is a three and a half point favorite, which feels a little low. The Cardinals played well last week, but uh, what's what's your out, outlook on this? Uh, I don't know, because I don't know what to, how to feel about this Cardinals team yet. I, I think we had given up on them two weeks ago. I didn't really see anything on Monday night that made me want to reverse that take. Like, they... They scored a lot of points, but I don't even know if you could say they played well offensively. Like most of Kyler's yardage came on two plays. Mm -hmm. So I really want to see how they compete against a team that is going to be very good for the rest of the year. And it's a defense that's exploitable. I think they're 27th in pass DVOA defense. No, 29th, even worse. And ninth against the run, which has kind of been Arizona's strong suit during the Cliff era. So... They should be able to run the ball against them. And if the pass defense isn't great, like it hasn't been in Seattle, I think they might be able to move the ball through the air. It's a matchup that they should at least compete in if they are a team that's capable of making the playoffs. If they don't, then I'm really ready to abandon this team for the rest of the year. <laughs> We're really ready. Yeah, Kyler Murray was, Kyler Murray was 9 for 24 on Monday night against Dallas, who you know does not have a defense. Um, so... It, not exactly promising. Um, let's jump to Chiefs Broncos, just because you know we the, the Chiefs uh, don't feel like they are really where they want to be yet. Uh, the Broncos just beat the Patriots. Is there anything to learn from this one? The Chiefs are a nine and a half point favorite even though the game is in Denver and apparently it is looking like it might snow. Um, but uh, Chiefs still a huge favorite. What are you looking at here? This game is going to tell us a lot about who the Broncos are. I, they're After beating the Patriots, obviously there's a little bit of hype surrounding them because they did just get their starting quarterback back. They got Drew Locke replacing the, <laughs> the line of Drew Locks that had been playing while he was injured. <laughs> But uh, I feel I feel bad for people who don't know our bit of <laughs> well, but. they got to figure it out. <laughs> uh, but this was like the same game we saw last year, late in the year. They the Chiefs went to Denver. It snowed, and the snow didn't seem to affect Patrick Mahomes. I don't think anything affects Patrick Mahomes, as we saw last week in the rain when he was still amazing and still Patrick Mahomes, and it. I don't know if it was the snow that affected Drew Locke or Steve Spagnuolo's defense, but one of them did, and Drew Locke had a horrible game. I think he threw two interceptions and took a bunch of sacks. So this is going to tell us a lot about how Drew Locke has progressed since then and really how the defense has progressed because they have to go up against Patrick Mahomes. They had no answer for him last year. I want to see what Vic Fangio has cooked up for him this year. I Unless the Chiefs lose, I don't really think this is going to tell us much about them as a team. They're as good as we think think they are i thought 
the game against Buffalo answered any questions people had going into the week after that Las Vegas game, which I right. I had said was a, a bit flukish just because of penalties and that had negated huge plays for Kansas City, and they were in third and long situations that I think any offense would struggle in. So I really think – what's the line on this again? Nine and a half is the one I'm looking at. Yeah, that sound, it seems big, but it sounds about right to me. I think the Chiefs should win this one. Easily. Uh, There are a bunch of other football games scheduled, starting with the Giants and Eagles later tonight. We're recording Thursday afternoon. Uh, I I wish that the NFC East would just be dropped into the Big Ten. They should move this game to Saturday to see see how that goes but that game is happening uh there's another nfc east game happening the cowboys versus the football team uh what are the latest projections whichever whichever team gets to six wins first in this division is going to win it is that basically where we're at at uh, this point there's a realistic Uh, scenario where six wins wins the nfc east and there i think someone on espn ran some simulations and one of them had the Giants winning the division with four wins. So that's also on the table. It's probably not going to happen, but it is on the table. And that's the situation I'm rooting for. Of course, of course, root for chaos. Uh, Dallas is a point favorite over the football team. That game is in DC or wherever they play their games, Landover, Maryland. Uh, Any any thoughts on that one? Uh, No, (laughs) I'm not going to be watching it. I'll I'll tell you that much. It doesn't matter. Maybe Andy Dalton will ba- bounce back and that will feed some of the Dak doubters and they'll be able to say, look, there's like last week was just a bad week and they can still survive. These matchups, I mean, survive, but you're not going to be good. <laughs> right. These <laughs> NFC East matchups are actually pretty tightly contested. Right. Like in DVOA, Dallas is 26, Washington's 27. <laughs> the Giants are 30th, Philadelphia is 31st. I'm amazed that Philadelphia is the worst team by DVOA. And and they're a four and a half point favorite tonight. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, let's let's get away from the NFC East and land in the comfort of the uh, D- Detroit Lions playing the Atlanta Falcons. Um, <laughs> Atlanta's a two and a half point favorite. Obviously played better in the first game without Dan Quinn. Matt Ryan had his best game in a while. Uh, anything to look at here? Uh. Maybe the Lions can make a little run here. I know they haven't beaten good competition. They just beat a bad Jaguars team. But right. I think they're not far away from being 500, or maybe they're at oh, close to 500. They're two, they're two and three. So if they can beat a bad Falcons team, they're at 500. And if they won that week one game in which they were basically set up to win and uh, DeAndre Swift dropped that pass late, right. they would have beaten the uh, the Cowboys – Or sorry – they're not the Bears aren't as bad as the Cowboys, but <laughs> even if we don't trust them, the five and one Bears. And I think they were up by fourteen on the uh, Packers, and they were up ten on the Saints. Like the Lions have started out well, at least. Like in an alternate universe, maybe they're in the playoff race right now. So maybe they can make a run here if they beat the Falcons. So are you are you picking them to cover here? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're going to lose this game. Actually, yeah, I did pick them in picks. I just wanted to make that joke after building them building them up. <laughs> it was it was good. Good comedic timing. Uh Browns Bengals. Cleveland's a three point favorite battle of Ohio. I don't know. Is this our first rematch of the season? 
It... I don't remember another division game because they played in week two. Like it. So let's say that the game, I think the game's going to go like the week two game went. Like we've said a lot of times, the key to beating the Browns is making Baker Mayfield play quarterback. And like the the Browns just ran all over the Bengals on that. I think it was a Thursday night game and Baker right. Mayfield got the, I think he threw like 20 passes and like 15 of them were play action. So I think we're going to see the same thing because the Bengals defense isn't any better and the Bengals offensive line isn't any better and Joe Burrow still taking sacks. So I could see Miles Garrett having another big game against Cincinnati. I, I think the the Browns should win this one. I'm I'm not sure what the line is. I think it's kind it's of three. small. Yeah, it's yeah, three. Cle- so Cleveland, but, yep. yeah, I would take Cleveland in this one. Uh, Panthers Saints. The Saints uh, were left off your list of six teams you think can win the Super Bowl. So now they're uh, they're beginning their march back to respectability. They're a seven point favorite in this one. Uh, both teams have three wins. Panthers are three and three. Saints are three and two. Uh, what's your take? It seems like the Saints defense is getting a little bit better, and it's going to have to get better. It's going to have to be a top 10 defense if this team is going to bounce back and be a team that's capable of making noise in the playoffs. I just have not seen anything this year to suggest that the Saints should be favored by this many points over any team, especially a team that's been pretty competitive in Carolina. I expect the Panthers to cover this one. I don't know if they're going to win. I don't think they're going to win. They're not better than the Saints, but I wouldn't be surprised if they covered. The largest line of the week, I'm looking to make sure, but uh, it's, it's generally a safe bet that whoever's playing the Jets uh, <laughs> is going to have the, the largest, and it's the Buffalo Bills, 12 and a half points. Uh, Josh Allen probably going to bounce back a little bit. A lot of the, a lot of the Allen hype it was, it was thoroughly quashed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, which you accurately predicted, but you know that his the the Bills Mafia is lying in wait, ready to declare him once again great when he trounces the Jets. Uh, do you think they'll do you think they'll cover this twelve and a half? Uh, I don't think Buffalo is going to cover this. Oh, love it! They're going to win the game, and I don't think it's going to be <laughs> yeah, very close. I, right, but. I mean, the Jets, I think they lost by 10 in week one against this team. I guess this is another rematch. Uh, And the Jets didn't play very well. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets stick around close enough to cover. They're not going to win, obviously. And I think are the... I don't know who's who's starting at quarterback. I probably should have researched this, but I'm not spending any time researching the Jets for the rest of the year. I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. But I'm pretty sure Flacco starting. If that's the case, that scares me a little bit. But I don't think Flacco's going to commit the, t- the turnovers that Sam Darnold did in that week one game, which is really why that game got out of hand early and the Jets kind of pulled back late. So I would not be surprised if this is closer than people realize. And it's like a two touchdown game going into the fourth and the Jets get like a field goal late to cover the uh, yeah, Sam Darnold has been practicing. He's been limited, I think, in practice, but they're hoping that he will be able to go. It doesn't matter either way. It's the Jets. <laughs> it's a funny Adam Gase. Like, funny, who cares? Funny, funny thing to hope. Packers, Texans. Uh, you know, we discussed the Bucks shutting down the Packers. They, they fell to four and one, but, and you know, the bears are, are in the lead in that division. They have the Monday night game. So we'll talk about that Monday. 
uh, morning in our episode that drops then. But what are you looking for from the Packers? They are just a three and a half point favorite against the one and five Tex- Texans. Uh, I mean, I get I get the line just based on how Deshaun Watson is playing. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in football. And that just shows you how broken everything else around him is that they're one in five. So I get why Vegas thinks it might be close, but I mean, I don't think he's been better than Aaron Rodgers. I don't even think Rodgers played poorly in that last game. I know he threw the two picks, but I didn't really think the picks were like bad, bad throws or bad decisions. It was just like he left one throw too far inside he trusted his guy to win on the other one. It got tipped to a safety. So if like the one selling point for the Texans is their quarterback, the, the Packers have a quarterback just as good. And then they have a supporting cast. That's much better than what Watson has around him. Packers cover. Yeah. So I'm taking the Packers there. Uh, and then I think our last game that we haven't talked about is the Jags chargers. Uh, Jags one and five, Chargers one and four, scintillating. Uh, Chargers are actually a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, you know, we're obviously all watching Justin Herbert and his development. What do you see coming out of this game? Yeah, this is the kind of game where you want to see Justin Herbert not just play well, but like actually put up the numbers and lead mm-hmm. uh, a big offensive performance because the Jaguars' defense is probably the worst in the league. They have no. They really, outside of Josh Allen, they don't really have someone that can get after the passer. So he's going to have time in the pocket. So he should play well. I know he's been he's been deemed a superstar by some people on Twitter. Uh, I'm not so sure that that's the case. But I do think the Jaguars cover this one because they do have a decent offense, even though Baker – oh, that was a Freudian slip. I was about to call it Gardner <laughs> Minshew, Baker Mayfield. Gardner Minshew isn't the guy – like Jay Gruden's still doing a decent job with that offense. So I think they can put up enough points. I don't think a quarterback like Justin Herbert should be favored by more than a touchdown. And that's the case here. So I, I'll, I'll take the Jags to cover. Do you think that you're just biased against anyone named Josh Allen? Like, are, are you giving the defensive end a, a real shot where are you just. I'm saying he's good. I'm saying he's the only good one. Like Caleb on yeah, uh, Jason. Not a superstar. You're... Oh, no. I was saying Justin not... Herbert's not a superstar yet. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, and the guy they drafted, Chasen, is has has been what draft people thought he was going to be, just not a refined player who he's just an athlete. And he doesn't really have long arms, so he doesn't have the athletic profile of a defensive end, a, a good defensive end. So it's kind of like what what are you gonna what is what do you do around here? He doesn't get after the passer, he's not like a much of a run defender, so Looks looks like a bad pick for the Jaguars, which is something we've said a lot over the Dave Caldwell era. I'm not about to give up on Caleb on Chase on man. He's got a great name, so I hope he That's, I hope he succeeds. But uh, it's not looking good. Uh, agree. That's all we got for this week. Uh, visit us over at For the Win, will you? FTW.usaday.com. You can find some links tweeted out uh, by at the Stephen Ruiz at Chris Corman. Uh, you know, we'll we'll try to. I'm sure that we will be covering whatever comes along with the situation with the with the Raiders and whatever schedule changes need to come. And we'll have all of the interesting, buzzy stuff that happens on Sunday. 
Andy Nesbitt will be around Sunday evening. He always does a post with his awards, which wraps up sort of the funny, interesting stuff that happens during the day. And then Monday morning, the counter will be back and we'll break down what we learned from week seven. Uh, Steven, how do you want to close this one out? Uh, I want to apologize to Gardner Minshew. <laughs> Colin and Baker Mayfield, you are much better at reading defenses and navigating the pocket than Baker Mayfield, even if you guys have weak arms. Although Baker's <laughs> Baker's arm is much better. So I I'll hope say you never one have... nice thing about Baker's arm is much better than Gardner Minshew's. I hope you never have to apologize to me because I think you meant to apologize and you actually ended up hurting him more. So I don't <laughs> He's not I don't listening know if you to really... this anyway. Really? Also, he should thank me for not releasing an audio clip that I could have released for a lot of likes on Twitter. Oh, man. And that, that is the cryptic end to our show. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. <laughs> the Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 